Turn in your Bible today to Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Starting in verse 14, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And the Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and, my, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to he, him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he who will... And he will have abundance from him who does not have. Even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to speak to you today on the subject, talent show. Talent show. Let's pray. Father, in the precious and holy name of your son Jesus, thank you for the precious spirit of the Lord that we've experienced already today, add your anointing and your unction to the preaching of your word and to our hearing and to our lives that we will do what thus saith the word of God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Somebody give the Lord a hand for his word today. Amen. For many years, it was a very popular form of entertainment in elementary schools, in high schools, in colleges. It was the talent show. And television, from its inception, really, uh, network televisions relied on talent shows. Some of you remember in the 1950s, there was a talent show called Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts. Anybody old enough to remember that? Is anybody old enough to remember that that can still raise their hand? Amen. 
And then in the 1980s, in my generation, there was Ed McMahon and Star Search. In fact, in the Godfrey Talent Scouts and in the Star Search, there were a lot of, of well-known entertainers that got their start there. And in the last 20 years, that has really reached its height. There's some things that have kind of faded from the public view over the years. The talent show is even more popular now than it's ever been. American Idol, The Voice, America's Got Talent. All of those are talent shows. In fact, my own nephew appeared on one, but, but not just one, but two. One called Rising Star and one called Showtime at the Apollo. My old nephew appeared at two different nationally broadcast talent shows. It's been a lasting form of entertainment. Did you know that God has a talent show? He does. At the end of this life, we're going to have to show God what we did with the talents that we received. Now there are portions of scripture in the Bible, there are passages that bring me great comfort. That in, uh, in times of distress I turn to them and they are a shelter in which I can hide. There are passages that bring me a great deal of comfort. This is not one of those passages. This passage causes me some consternation, and some concern. That God is going at the end of this life to see what I accomplished and what I did with what he gave me. Those are sobering thoughts. Well, let's explore some of the attributes of those talents that he gave us. First of all, the talents that he gave us are plentiful. They're not skippy. God has not just scrape the bottom of the barrel when he gave you the gifts that he gave to you. God has given us his gifts in abundance. When we read the word talent in the New Testament, it is a word that was a, a uh, unit of measurement. It was not even initially a denomination of money. It was a measurement. And a talent actually weighed somewhere between 70 and 120 pounds. So when you start dealing with money and you start dealing with precious uh, materials and God uh, the, in the story the master uh, gave to them and put in their care between 70 and 120 pounds of whether it was gold or silver, or copper, or whatever it is, we're not talking about a small amount of money. Can you imagine getting 75 pounds of gold? That's one talent. Or the, the one that got the two talents, that's 150 pounds. The one that got the three talents, I, I checked with my wife, who's a math teacher, and I was right, it's 375 pounds. How many would like to load up in the back of your pick truck, pickup truck 375 pounds of gold today and take it home. It's not a skimpy amount. It's a large amount of money. I've always looked at this scripture and thought he just gave them a bag of coins. That he just gave them a little bit of money. This is a large amount of money. 
And God has given to you more than you think He gave you. You have more than you think you have. You can do more than you think you can do. You can accomplish more than you think you can accomplish. We've got to do away with this small thinking and this kind of false humility, which is really just pride masquerading by humility and the kind of self-deprivation of saying, poor, pitiful me, I just, I'm not as smart as somebody else, I'm not as talented as somebody else, I'm not as good as somebody else. Stop looking at what you don't have and start looking at what you do have. God gave you gift, gifts and he gave you plenty of them. In fact, did you know when you got up this morning it was a gift? Amen. God has given you this day as a gift. In fact, right now is a present, isn't it? You've got, what are you going to do with it? Did you know that Bill Gates didn't get any more time today than you have? Donald Trump doesn't have any more time today than you have, right? Jeff Bezos of, of Amazon doesn't have any more time today than you have. Elon Musk doesn't have any more time than you have. You've got the same amount of time today that they have. It's what are you going to do with it? Not only are those gifts plentiful, but they're personal. Look at your neighbor and say, God gave something to me. It's personal. What God gave to you is for you. In fact, the Bible says that when this, uh, this master gave out the one, two, and five talents to those servants, he did it according to their ability. Do you know God created you with certain uh, proclivities, certain likes, certain dislikes, certain abilities, Certain mindsets, God gave you a personality. Isn't it amazing how two people born in the same home, born in the same family, raised the same way can be so different? That didn't come from how they were raised. That came from just who they were. It was who God made them to be. God gave us all different personalities and different abilities. And then God has allowed us all to have different experiences that have shaped us and molded us and made us. I look back over my life as an adult and I've been privileged to have so many different experiences in work and in ministry and all of those things that at the time, some of those things seemed like that they were a distraction from ministry, but they were actually training for ministry. God has given us all personal gifts. He has not given us all the same quantity of gifts. There are some people just more talented than other people. That's the truth. I think about, you know, the Bible says he gave to one five, one to two, and one one talent. And I think about Renaissance men. I think about Leonardo da Vinci. He was, a, he was a scholar. He was an inventor. He was a sculptor. He was a painter. His contemporary Michelangelo, painter, sculptor, these guys could do it all. I think about our founding fathers, men like Benjamin Franklin. He, he discovered basically electricity, how it worked. He invented the bifocals. He, in, he invented the, the uh, wood-burning stove. He invented the lightning rod that saved lives because fires were cut down. And he's also helped us win the Revolutionary War by being our ambassador to France. He was also uh, an author. He was a publisher. He was a printer. 
Think about Thomas Jefferson. Man, there's a brain for you. He wrote those words, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He was a, he was a farmer. He was an inventor. These guys just had a multitude of talents. I think about some of the entertainers we have, some of the actors that are just so great at their craft, and then you hear them sing, and they're a better singer than they are an actor. And you say, well, that's not fair. And then you realize that in their spare time, they're an artist, and they paint beautiful pictures. I mean, there are just some people just got a, an incredible quantity of gifts. Not everybody's gifts are the same quantity. Not everybody's gifts are the same quality. Some talents were talents of gold. Some were talents of silver. Some were talents of copper. I hate to say this to you, but the fact of the matter is there are some people just got a higher quality talent than you and I might possess. These people, those that have those talents of gold are people that are geniuses. Einstein had a talent of gold. You may be good at math, but you're no Einstein, right? I think about what Dole Dykes does to a guitar. I, I, I'm sorry, Adam Vickers, you're really good at it, but you're no Dole Dykes, <laughs> right? We won't talk about good preachers. We'll leave that one un, unseen, amen. But not everybody has the same quality. Some have gold uh, talents. Some have silver talents. They're above average. They're really good. They might not be great, but they're really good. But here's what the Bible says, Romans 12, 6. God has given, also given each of us different gifts to use. Some people have copper gifts. I think about my Papa Peavy. My Papa Peavy was not... Uh, what you call well-educated. I think he dropped out in the eighth grade. He never earned more than probably $20,000 a year in his life. He was not a, a very big man. He never had really in, any important clout in the community. Most of his career he spent as a grocery clerk. And after he retired... He moved to Douglas and started part-time at, uh, at Winn-Dixie as a bag boy and did that for the next 17 years till they closed Winn-Dixie down. <laughs> That's the only way they could get him to quit. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, you never saw any man that loved to work any more than that man loved to work. You never saw anybody that would put any more sweat equity into everything that he put his hand to than, than JTP. He would work himself down. He loved work for work's sake. And let me tell you that at one time in this community, you know, I've done different things. I've pastored in this community. I used to run the Salvation Army. I had a brother that was uh, well-known in the car business. My dad's former postmaster here and and uh, served as chairman of election board. We had different, different, another brother that pastored in this community for years. But I'm going to tell you, there were people that if you said the name Peavy to, they couldn't tell you about any of us, but they'd say, Peavy, wasn't that little white short-headed man that worked down there at Winn-Dixie, wasn't, wasn't he a Peavy? There were people that knew J.T. Peavy, didn't know anybody else. You know why? Because even though his gifts may have been copper gifts, he made the most of his gifts. 
He was well-liked and well-loved. He created a great home environment for my dad to be raised in. He saved money so that at the end of his life, my grandmother is still being taken care of by money that my grandfather put away, even though he never made a lot of it. He used it right. William Barclay said, it's not your talent that matters, it's how you use it. You may just have copper talents, but are you using them? The person with copper talents is better off if he uses it than the person with gold talents that sits on it. They're personal gifts and they're precious gifts. Gold and silver are precious items. They're precious material. They're valuable gifts. Your gifts are valuable whether you know it or not. What God has given you is valuable. Your talents are valuable and they're unique. They're one of a kind. There may be other people that can sing, but they can't sing like you sing. There may be other people that can work, but they can't work like you work. There may be other people that can teach, but they can't teach like you teach. You've got a unique gift. You've got your own imprint on it. Anything that you touch has your unique fingerprint on it. You have unique gifts that are valuable, that are needed, that are wanted, that God can use. And you might think that they're just common. There was a guy by the name of Joe McVicker. Joe McVicker found himself in 1954 the head of a company named Kutal Soap Company. Now the Kutal Soap Company had been through some hardships before. They had had to make some adaptions before. They went through a change of seasons. They've gone through hard times, war times. They've gone through the years. They've dealt with family sickness and disease and deaths. But in 1954, what was keeping them afloat is they had this little uh, putty, this little compound that they marketed for people to clean their wallpaper because people that used furnaces or fireplaces Soot would build up on the wallpaper. So they had this little compound that you could use to clean the soot off your wallpaper. But by 1954, people were going uh, to more modern and cleaner ways of heating their houses. And Kutal Soap Company was in trouble. They were feeling the squeeze. But Joe McVicker had a, had a um, sister-in-law by the name of Kay Zutal. And Kay uh, taught a nursery school. And she was looking for some cheap way for her kids in the nursery school to make uh, Christmas ornaments, to mold Christmas ornaments. And she had read somewhere that this putty that was used to clean wallpaper could be molded and used. And so she got that and she let her kids mold it and she noticed how much fun those kids in the nursery school were having playing with that putty. So she told her brother-in-law, Joe McVicker, about it, and they added color to that putty, and instead of charging 35 cents a can, they charged a dollar and 50 can, and Play-Doh was born. Why? Because they had the answer to their problems and didn't even know it. Your talent is valuable. It's also valuable because in this story, it was the master that left these talents. He left the talents in the hands of the servant. 
Your gifts are valuable because they were given to you by God. If God had wanted you to have somebody else's gifts, he'd have gave, him, gave you them. He didn't. He gave you your gift. He prepared you and created you for your gift, and he created your gift for you. So we ought to use that gift. Now we almost always use this passage to talk about abilities like uh, intellect or singing or uh, the ability to do certain things. We almost always use it to talk about abilities and gifts. But in reality, the modern use of the word talent to indicate abilities or gifts is actually comes from this story. We use that word talent to be the ability of gifts because preachers have often used this giving of these talents that is a weight of measurement. They've often used that so often that the, the word talent actually changed meanings to mean these ability or gifts. But what it was, was it was just this mass, 75 pound mass of gold or silver or copper. So the Bible doesn't tell us what the gift is. It doesn't say it's singing. It doesn't say it's preaching. It doesn't, it doesn't say it's speaking. It doesn't say any of those things. It just says God left some things that the, in this parable it was money that he left a weight of money to these people. Well, what has God given to us? Well, Ephesians 2, 8 tells us that he gave us, that by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. God gave us our salvation. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He gave us his peace. Ephesians 4, 8, when he ascended on high, led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to the church. In Acts 2, 38, Peter said, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the gift of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 said there are diversity of gifts but the same Spirit. Not everybody has the same spiritual gifts but everybody who is a Christian has some spiritual gifts. He's given us the gifts of the Spirit. Now all of this that he gave us is the good news and another word for the good news is the gospel. The gospel is what he left behind. Whenever this master went on a journey, he left something with his servants for them to do something with. What has he left behind for us? He has left us the message of the gospel and he's left us the means to accomplish that. He's given us the power of the Spirit. He's given us natural gifts, talents, intellect, energy, ability, and the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has, uh, has given to us and entrusted us this precious thing to use for Him while He's gone. And the Bible says that, that in that parable that the Master was coming back. How many knows our Master's coming back and he's going to check to see what we did with what he gave to us. What he gave to us is priceless. If in this story it was a talent of gold, 75 pounds of gold at today's prices would be, this, this was the prices as of Friday, 75 pounds of gold would be $2,369,136 for one talent. 
And one of these guys got five talents. A talent of silver, which is probably the most common and probably what this story is referring to. Silver is not near as, nearly as valuable as gold. At the current prices of silver, it would be $29,208. But silver in the biblical days was not as plenteous as it is today. And in terms of buying power, it was really worth quite a bit more. A denarius was a day's wage. A talent was worth 6,000 denarii. A denarius was worth $41.26, so a talent was worth $247,200. It was 15 to 20 years worth of a day laborer's wages. A day laborer had to work 20 years to earn this amount of money. It was enough to pay the crew of a ship, 170 sailors, it was enough to pay them for one month. So these talents that were left, depending on whether they were silver or gold, was anywhere between 250000 to $2.5 million. Those things are priceless. God has given to us, God has entrusted to us things that are precious and priceless. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 said, Know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. The greatest gift that God gave to us is the blood of Jesus. God has given us precious and priceless gifts. Hong S. Nor grew up and lived in Cambodia and became a doctor. He was an obstetrician and a gynecologist. And in 1975, Pol Pot and his Khmer Rouge army took over Cambodia. It started what they called the killing fields. He forced everyone uh, to go out into the country and work manual labor. And he was especially hard on intellectuals, including doctors. Doctors were often killed simply for being doctors. So he had to hide the fact that he was a doctor. He and his wife Mahui were first forced to work planting rice, had very little food, they suffered from starvation. Uh, Dr. Nor was himself uh, tortured three times. One time they cut off part of his finger and they endured hardship, suffering. And then they found out in the middle of all of that that they were going to have a baby. And because of malnutrition, Nora's wife, Mahui, was uh, having complications in delivery, and he, he had a problem. He knew how to deliver the baby C-section, but one, he didn't have any tools, any instruments to do that operation with. And two, he knew that if he performed that operation, that the Khmer Rouge army would know that he was a doctor, and they would kill him and his wife and his unborn child. So he hoped for the best and gambled that she could go through a natural birth. And she did not. She died and the baby died. And the soldiers that were only a few feet away laughed and mocked and fell asleep to the cries of Bahui in her pains of labor and death. When she died... Dr. Knorr found on her body her little identification card that had her picture. He took that from her and he escaped. 
He put it in a little locket with a little cheap chain. Eventually, he made his way to America in 1979. He ended up in California. And in 1985, he starred, he remarried, but he always kept his wife's locket next to his chest. He replaced the cheap chain with a 24-carat chain, but he always, all the time, everywhere, he kept on his skin of his chest, he kept his wife's locket. In 1985, he was cast in a movie called The Killing Fields, and he starred as a journalist, a true-to-life story. He starred as a journalist in Cambodia, something he knew a lot about. And in 1985, he ended up winning the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Eleven years later, he pulled up, February 25th, 1996, he pulled up his car outside of his home, and three gang members accosted him. They demanded his Rolex watch, and he gladly took it off and gave it to them. And then they demanded that gold chain with that locket with his wife's, late wife's picture on it around his neck, and he said no. I believe if they'd have asked him for his luxury car, he would have thrown them the keys. If they'd have broken his home and demanded his Oscar, I believe he would have handed it over gladly. The $2,600 that was later found in his pocket, he would have given to him. But his prized possession among all of that was that locket against his chest with his wife's picture. And when they asked for his most precious prized possession, he said, no. And they shot him and killed him and he died on the sidewalk outside of his home. Because there were certain things he would not give up. And our great salvation that has been given us by our Lord. Isn't that worth hanging on to? Worth gripping? Worth not letting go? Wouldn't you think that? Well, you would be wrong. Because God has not called us just to hang on to what He's given us. He has not called us at the end of the way just to put it in our hands and say, See, I didn't lose it. See, I kept it. Nobody took it from me. Listen, we don't want to lose our salvation, but we do want to give it away. God has not called on us to save it, but to share it. God doesn't want us to bury it out in the backyard in mason jars. He doesn't want us to stuff it up under our mattress and make sure nothing happens to it. He doesn't want us to hide it in an old ice cream container in the freezer so nobody can break through and steal it. That's what, that's what the lazy, wicked servant did. He said, see what you gave me? I didn't lose any of it. See what you gave to me? I held on to every bit of it. Here, I'm giving back just what you gave to me. And he was called a lazy and wicked servant. We need to realize that the gift that God has given us, all that he's given us, we need to realize the potential of what he's given to us. You, you, listen, God has given you gifts, including your salvation, that has the potential to change the world. It can change people's lives for time and eternity. At the end of this life, you will be remembered not for what you kept, but for what you gave away. Not for what you deposited, but what you distributed. 
Not what you gained, but what you gave. When you share your treasures, your time, and your talents, you're not wasting them. You are investing them. God is not calling us to be savers. He's calling us to be investors. Barclay said, we're not equal in talent, but we can be equal in effort. Thomas Edison says, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. How do we invest what God's given us? There's two principles found in Ecclesiastes 11, 1 and 2, and I'm getting close to closing. Disperse. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. We're to, we're to be free-handed with what God's given us. Whether it's our time, our talents, or our treasures. Hold on to those things loosely, sow them. I always wondered what this scripture meant. and Probably the best explanation I heard was this. That in Egypt, when the Nile River floods... The way that farmers in Egypt access that, that wonderful uh, fertile ground there in, the, in that uh, fertile crescent, the way that they access that is they don't wait until flood stage is over to go out and sow their seeds. While the river's still flooded, they get in ships and they go out and they cast out their grain, their seed, while it's still flooded. And when the water recedes, those seeds drop down and are left behind in that rich mud and they begin to grow. Let me tell you that you've got to by faith sow seeds. You've got to disperse and give and believe and trust. And then verse 2 says, Give a serving to seven, also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. You have to diversify. Now, I've got a retirement plan that COVID-19 has not been friendly to. And in my retirement plan, I have about three places that it's diversified. The one I got the most money in got hit the worst. Thankfully, it was diversified and some of those that had more money, uh, other money in it, they wasn't hit as bad. So you diversify because you don't ever know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, right? Well, that's the way it is spiritually. You need to be sowing seeds everywhere you go. You be, need to be sowing seeds to everybody that you know. Listen, the, the percentages will catch up with you if you share the gospel enough. If you share the gospel with one person, maybe a dozen times, maybe they'll reject it. But I'm going to tell you, if you share the gospel with everybody you know, every time you get the chance, eventually somebody's going to say yes. You've got to diversify. You've got to spread it. Now, this is the part that concerns me. There's punishment involved here. Remember, he said, cast out the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. One commentator said that this man's misperception of his master produced alienation, mistrust, and fear, and personal sloth. He felt alienated from his master 
He didn't trust his master. He feared his master, and therefore it produced in him a lack of trying. He thought that he would not be punished if he lost nothing. But he was punished because he risked nothing. He wasn't punished because he tried and lost. He was punished because he didn't try. I I wonder sometimes if we underestimate the power of the sin of omission. I don't want to blame everything on the, on the, you know, the, the religious atmosphere of the churches we went to when I was growing up. I mean, I'm 51 years old. After a while, you can't blame anybody else. But there's still part of me back there that struggles with defining the Christian life simply by what I don't do. Can anybody relate to that? That there's something back there that still says, well, you know, I don't drink, I don't dip, I don't chew, I don't run with those that do, I'm good. But what about the things that I'm omitting? Here's what the Bible says in the book of James, uh, verse 4 and 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. God is not just going to look and say, well, at least you didn't do anything bad. He's going to judge us whether or not we did anything good. I'm not talking about earning our salvation by good works. We know we can't do that, but we do know we're going to face the judgment of God for the things done in this body. Someone said that this man was motivated by the fear of displeasing his master. Therefore, he did nothing. But the other two servants that did something were motivated by pleasing the master. Now, that sounds like the same thing, doesn't it? It sounds like that the fear of displeasing him and the desire to please him are just opposite sides of the coin. But they're not the same thing as all. I want to prove it to you. Recently, Crystal went back home. Her and Katie flew back out, got some cheap, very cheap uh, plane tickets. They flew back out and spent a, a, about five or six days with her parents. And when Crystal came home, I made sure that that house, me and Cameron, had that house spit, shine, and polished. I mean, we had that house looking good, didn't we, baby? I mean, we had that house looking good. Now, you can believe this or not, but this is the truth. I did not do that because I feared displeasing her. I didn't do that because when she came home, I was afraid that if I didn't have the dishes washed, she would walk in and kick the dog and throw the cat through the window. I was not motivated by fear. I did that because I wanted to, I had a desire to please her. I had a desire for her to feel good when she came home. I had a desire for her to be impressed with the house. And there's a difference motivation when we do things for God because we fear him in that, in that negative sense and when we have a positive desire to please him. Now that brings us finally to our last point. Why 
do you do that? Because there's a prize at the end of the way. Because yes, he said to the lazy servant, the wicked servant, who didn't even try, he said, cast him out, take away from him what he has, give it to somebody else, cast him out into outer darkness, there'll be weeping and gnashing and teeth. But listen to what he said to those two servants that tried. This is what he said. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter thou in to the joy of the Lord. Let me tell you, and I'm closing, I promise, but let me tell you. You may do things for the Lord and the pastor never uses you as an example from the pulpit. He said, I don't know why he always lifts them up. He never notices what I do. He might not, he may notice and not say anything. He might not ever say anything. May not never notice. In fact, if you're doing it right, maybe people won't always notice. You may do things for the Lord and attempt things for the Lord that go belly up. They flop. You may feel like at the end of the way, you've got nothing to recommend you. That's the way W.A. Criswell, the man that won him to the Lord, that's the way he felt. He didn't know he'd won one of the greatest preachers of a generation to the Lord. But what you are laboring for is not wealth or fame. You know, people will do things for recognition that they will not do for money. But you're not laboring for recognition. You're not laboring for a pat on the back. You're not laboring to be put your name up in lights. We're working for one thing and one thing only. There's a prize at the end of the way. And we're laboring to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many. Now come and enter in to the joy of the Lord. Amen. How many wants to use your talent for the Lord? Amen.